Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. They were here. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 7 from the New Living Translation. Zechariah writes So I cared for the flock intended for slaughter, the flock that was oppressed. Then I took two shepherd's staffs and named one Favor and the other Union. I got rid of their evil shepherds, of their three evil shepherds, in a single month. But I became impatient with these sheep, and they hated me too. My, what a disturbing portion of Scripture. So I told them, I won't be your shepherd any longer. This is where the man of God has gotten to. He said, if you die, you die. If you are killed, you are killed. And let those of you who remain devour each other. Verse 10, he gets to his point. He said, then I took my staff called Favor, and cut it in two, showing that I had revoked the covenant that I'd made with all the nations. That was the end of my covenant with them. The suffering flock was watching me and they knew that the Lord was speaking through my actions. And I said to them, if you like, give me my wages, whatever I'm worth, but only if you want to. So they counted out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter this magnificent sum at which they valued me. So I took the 30 coins and threw them to the potter in the temple of the Lord. Then I took my other staff, union, and cut it in two, showing that the bond of unity between Judah and Israel was broken. Father, I pray over the remainder of this service. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus over every heart, every mind, over the people of God. We thank you for the great presence of your spirit that's already been in this house. God, I ask you, Lord, to help us for the next few moments in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I thought of some some things that possibly that we take for granted. Some things as I looked at this text, and I'll get to the text in just a moment. But I began to look at some of these things that that I know I could very easily take for granted. And I want to make a a short list of some things that we could possibly live without. But for many of us, it might be difficult. The first thing that I thought of was a shower. Now, certainly in my lifetime and in probably most of your lifetimes, a hot shower has been and Lord willing, will continue to be a tremendous blessing and convenience. I guess we could live without showers, but Brother Sylvia, I would miss them to a great degree. The, the second thing that came into my mind was running water. Now, if you have ever lived without running water, and I have, then you definitely know what a convenience it really is. I remember as a little boy, uh, probably I think I was in about the fourth or fifth grade, and we lived in this place in Tennessee, 
and we literally had no running water. We didn't have a flushing toilet. We had a two-holer. Some of you are like, what is that, Brother Roberts? I'll explain it to you later. And I remember that we had a little pipe that was driven into a rock and a spigot on the end and a, a barrel that the water would flow into, and we would take gallon jugs down there, and we would fill those up. And we would drag them back to the house, and that's how we got our water. And if it was hot, it was because you heated it, right? And so, you know, sponge baths are not nearly, Brother Jones, as spiritual or as effective to me as a hot shower is. I thought maybe, you know, we could possibly live without it, but it would be difficult in our society today. The next thing that came to my mind was mirrors. Without a mirror, you know, the, the focus of our society would probably shift to a, a more fundamental, maybe a, 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 a more personality-driven motive because without mirrors, there would be no reflections and, and, and you and I would probably feel more comfortable uh, about how we look than we, maybe we do today. Uh, some of you ladies wouldn't worry quite as much about fixing yourself and making yourself perfect. I mean, you know, uh, but, you know, I, I, it, it would be, it, it could be difficult, right? Mirrors, you know, I, I thought about that for a moment. But probably the one thing that I think Sister Barry would understand most for me is personal space. Maybe, maybe not a big deal for you, but for me, it really is. I mean, I, 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 I truly love people, and I, I just tend to, Brother Jose, do it a little better with some distance. And, and I guess what, what I'm really trying to say is I don't appreciate trespassers. You know, I mean, you have all that area around you, but this little bit of space is, is mine. And, and access to me in, in Brother Robert's life is, is you know, it's, uh, it's by invitation only. And, and, and I know, I know, I'm, I'm working on it. But, but actually, I found that science agrees with me. I know this isn't biblical, and we'll get to that in a moment. But in an article, I found a, neuroscience, a neuroscientist explained that the brain actually computes a buffer zone around the body. He called it a, a second skin that's hardwired into our DNA. So if you've got a problem with me, just talk to science about it. And then I began to think about some of you, and I said, you know, I wonder how many people could live without Starbucks. I know for anyone over 40, probably not a, not, a, not a difficult task, but for that younger generation, I know right now if you bring Starbucks up in church, Doc, you're gonna, I'm going to lose about half the congregation. I understand that. You know, and, but some people really, truly don't believe that they could ever live without fancy foo-foo coffee. Probably not hard to tell where I'm at on that, on that, on that you know, I like good, hot, black, straight coffee with no, none of that go-go stuff in it. I'm not good for that. But can you, could you imagine your world without Starbucks? I don't have a problem with that. And then finally, stuff. I just thought, you know, my goodness, how many, how many hoarders are in the room today? Don't, don't point at anybody. Don't, don't, don't point at anybody. Did I point at my wife? I'm sorry. My finger just lashed its way out there. But, I mean, you really can't live without all that stuff. Do you really need that cute picture that you made in the third grade? It's just really kind of where we are as a society. Maddie's looking at me like, no, no, I, I can't live without all those shoes. See, he's gone from 
trying to preach to meddling, and Maddie's going to be mad at me for a month. But, but there are a lot of modern conveniences, the things that we could, if we had to, we could live without. I mean, I, I really wouldn't want to, but I could live without a hot shower. I, I could. I, I could, Brother Phillips, I, 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 could, I could, you know, live without running water if, if I had to, but I began to look at that and I, in the context of this passage, and I, I want to lay some groundwork here for, for what I really want to share with you. I, I began to look at this, and there are a couple of things that stand out in this passage that are by implication, they're very specific, that the people of God cannot live without. I could go through the list of some things that, We think we couldn't live without, but from a biblical perspective, I want to share with you two specific things that the church cannot live without. So if you'll allow me just a moment, I need to lay some foundation so that you can get a proper perspective of what I'm trying to communicate this morning. Of the last three Old Testament prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, these three prophets all prophesied after the occupation, and the exile of Israel was complete. Now, that's, that's important for us to understand so that we get a, a right perspective of, of where they're living, of what's going on in their life. But beyond that, commentators tell us that Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, is one of the most, if not the most difficult book of the Bible to understand. And probably the reason for that is it's, uh, it's dominated with what we call apocalyptic language. It's similar in, in its design to the books of Daniel and Revelation where the writing style uses symbology or word pictures in order to, to communicate. As I began to study through this, the first sentence from one really pronounced commentator on this chapter He said this, he said, Zechariah chapter 11 may be the most difficult and controversial chapter of the entire book. Another commentator goes even beyond that and says, Zechariah chapter 11 verses 4 through 17 stand as the most enigmatic or the most difficult to interpret or understand passage in the entire Bible. And so today I, I, I shared with you probably the most difficult book and probably the most difficult chapter in the most difficult book in the Bible. And so I want to go on record that I'm not attempting to interpret this passage. I'm, I'm not trying to preach a technical message or even a hermeneutically sound message, but I want to share just a couple of thoughts from the symbology that is used here by the prophet. As a background, the history of Israel as a nation After the death of King Solomon, the son of David, this once great nation is split into two nations. Most of you are aware of this. Most of you know this. There's the northern nation of Israel and the southern nation of Judah. And this division of the nation, after this great separation and dividing of the people of God, the prophet after prophet after prophet would warn of an impending exile unless there was restoration and repentance. Now that seems... That seems pretty, pretty normal for the Word of God. God always wants us to be in a place of, of restoration and repentance. But from a perspective situation, the nation of Israel under Kings David and Solomon, they were the top dog. They were the USA of their world. They, they were the most prominent and the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And so God began to 
began to prophesy to them, if you don't, if you don't get this together, if you don't get back into that right place, if you, don't, if you don't come back together as a people, as a nation, he said, I am going to allow another nation to come in and occupy you, and I am going to send your people into exile. And they responded as most humanity does, reluctantly, not at all. And so in 722 B.C., the northern tribes of Israel were occupied and many of its prominent people were sent into exile. And, and so they stayed there for almost 150 years until 587 B.C. and the southern tribes were occupied and sent into exile. And they became under the rulership of the Medes and the Persians and they were the dominating world powers of the time. And so that brings us to this place where the heart of Zechariah's warning that little had changed because of their exile. What are you saying, Brother Roberts? I'm saying that when God had allowed this disastrous thing to happen in their life, God had, had allowed this to happen because of their hard-heartedness and because their stubbornness. And, and so because instead they, they refused to turn back to God. They refused to repent. They refused to renew their relationship. And they immediately began to return to their pre-exile pattern of sin. So God had allowed this occupation and this exile for a purpose, for a reason, so that they would return to him. And here it is now where post-exile, you know the books of Ezra and Nehemiah talk about them being released back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the, town, the temple. And it would, it would never be what it once was. And, and so there was great sorrow among those people. But there was still among the people of God this great rift, this great separation. And so this return to God and to the things of God did not occur. And so... There, here we are, it brings us to our passage and to two specific word pictures from this very difficult and very complicated passage. Uh, the word pictures are found in verse 7 when the prophet Zechariah stands up and he gets up before the people and he would grab two staffs according to the word of God and he would do something that probably many of you have done at some point. I remember... Many years ago now, my daughter got her first car, and it was, uh, it was a nice little car for a teenage girl, but Rachel would uh, name that car. I don't even remember. I remember it was blue, and it was ugly, and I think I worked on it more than she drove it, but she named it Franklin. Sister Lawrence, I, I know I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a man. I just don't get it. I I didn't name my cars. I, I don't know. I had the blue one. I had a yellow one once. I had an orange one. I've had a, I got a black one. You know, I got different, I, I, they're just, you know, trucks or cars. Or, I, I knew what they were, the make, the model, but I never gave them a name. And, and Rachel named this car Franklin. She'd say, I'm going to take Franklin down. I'm like, who's Franklin? I don't know Franklin. You be careful, you know. I'm, I'm, prote I'm protective dad, you know, I'm, I'm that guy, right? You know, I'm like, hey, we, whoa, I don't know Franklin. You can't go nowhere with Franklin unless, unless I, I, I don't know. I haven't met Franklin. She says, oh, dad, you know, it's just a car, right? And so he, he began to take these in verse 2, and he said, I named one favor. The King James Version says he, he named it beauty, and the other one he would take in his hand, and he said, I'm going to name, I'm going to name this one, I'm going to name this one unity or union. 
The King James Version calls it the bands. And so in dramatic fashion, this prophet, this Old Testament prophet, would take up these two staves and, and he would name them, give them names. And, and I, I'm not sure that the, the normal shepherd out, on, out, on the, out with the sheep would, would, nor, would name his, his staff. I'm not sure that he would even care, but just as long as he had one. And so every Israelite would typically understand the significance of the two staffs because they would be familiar as you are with the 23rd Psalm where David said, your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. It was a normal practice for a shepherd to have two specific staffs and, and those staffs would play a prominent role in the people of God and for the sheep. And so every person of God, every Israelite would understand these familiar symbols. The rod and the staff, they symbolize the faithfulness and the attentiveness of the shepherd to the flock. One of them would have been used primarily as a defensive weapon to defend the sheep from the predators. My goodness, what a, what a great analogy as I began to think about this. The other would have been more like a shepherd's crook, also used to, for protection, but it was a prominent tool for direction and guidance. It was, the, it was the one that would ensure their safety and their welfare. And so for Israel, these two staffs were symbols of God's role and God's commitment to his people. He was and is the great shepherd. But like we are today, they were vulnerable. They were afflicted. They were the people of God, and they had gone through some things. And so this morning, this afternoon, I would preach to Living Hope Church that in any generation, what the people of God need in order to go to where God wants them to go, and they need, they need favor and they need unity. I can't, I can live without a hot shower. Brother Junior, I, I don't want to, but without the favor of God and without unity, I, I just can't progress into the things of God. I, I, can, I can live without some of the stuff that I've got, but without the favor and, and the blessing of God, I'm just not sure where I would be. Without the unity that comes through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I'm not sure that I could move forward with God. And so Zechariah, the prophet of God, in a time when many people simply did not care what God or his word said. I began to think about that, and I said, wait a minute. I don't know people that don't care about the word of God. I don't know about people that, don't, uh, that really don't care what God says because I know there's a, lot of, there's a lot of voices, a lot of noise around us and there's all this jargon going on in our world and everybody's got an opinion and everyone feels like it ought to be done this way or that way. But I, I know this much, I, I need the word of God. I need direction from God. I need the power of God in my life. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying whether it's 500 years ago or whether it's, to, whether it's you know, to 2020 in the most difficult year of the most difficult time of our nation, the people of God need, uh, they need the favor of God and they need the unity of God. We need favor and we need unity. There's no difference today. There's no difference today than there was 2,500 years ago. We've still got to have the favor of God. We've still got to have the unity that only comes through the Spirit of Jesus Christ. If living hope will, will ever fulfill the prophecies that were spoken over us, we've got to have God's favor and we've got to have God's unity. Now, some of you I've not convinced 
Some of you agree with me already, and I probably don't even have the need to convince you, but some of you maybe are not sure. So let me explain to you from this word picture what the favor of God really meant. The favor of God expresses the, the grace of God. Now that probably should be enough to suffice to let you understand that we really need the favor of God. Uh, if it were not for the grace of God, if it wasn't for the mercies of Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for his great kindness to me, where would I be? I can't live without favor. I can't live without mercy. I can't go on without his grace. Come on, I know the prophet did so. He began to name it. He said, you know what? I need the favor of God. And he took up that defensive weapon. What you don't understand and what I don't understand all the time is that's the favor of God that's not only just a guide in my life, but it's a defensive weapon that is holding the enemy at bay. And when, when I get in trouble, it's the favor of God that is calling and pulling and defending my life. At defend, I need the favor of God. It's his grace. It's because of his mercies that I'm not consumed. I know it's a difficult passage, and I'm not trying to interpret everything that's going on, but I want to take this word picture this prophet took out. He took out the, that, that staff, and he said, I'm going to name this one favor, and I'm going to name this one unity. And what you need to know as he goes through and he begins to talk to the people, he took that staff, and according to the Bible, he broke it. And he said it's symbolic. There's some symbolism here of the covenant that God had with his chosen people. And God said, I will no longer honor my covenant. Wow. Hold on a second, God. Don't, don't, Lord, don't, we don't want to go there. I mean, let's get back to the Starbucks. We can give that up. Let's get back to some stuff. We'll get rid of But the favor of God, that, that mercy of God, that, that kindness and that tremendous blessing of God, I, I, that, 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 that favor of God, I, I can't live without that. Because the covenant people of God, they flourish and they grow under the favor and the grace and the mercy of God. It's no different for us than it was for them. I'm telling somebody you need the favor of God in your life. You need the provision that only God can give. You might want the favor of men, but I need the favor of God. I'm glad when men have mercy, but I'm thankful that God has mercy on my soul. The psalmist would write it this way in Psalms 90 and 17. He said, let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Oh, come on, somebody. Let the favor of our Lord God be on us. Uh, establish for us the work of our hands. The King James often translates the word favor as the word beauty. He says, let the beauty of the Lord our God be on us. I've kind of always kind of looked at that and said, what are you talking about, God? The beauty of the Lord. But that is the beauty of God. That is the beauty of God, that God could have mercy on someone who doesn't deserve mercy. There's nothing more beautiful than the, than the picture I get of God reaching down into the depths of my sin and grabbing me by the hand. And come on, somebody. You want to see beauty. I'm not going to an art show, but I'm looking at the blood that's been applied over a life that's been destroyed by sin. We need the favor of God. 
I don't ever want God to break this covenant. I don't ever want the church to get to a point where God said, I won't be your shepherd anymore. But the truth of the matter is that for our humanity, we tend to seek God's favor not because we, we like the blessing of God more than we like the favor of God. And there's a, a distinct difference, and I'm going to share that with you some point today. The truth is every blessing, every blessed thing that ever has happened to us or ever will happen to us is the result of God's favor. That's the truth. And the truth of the matter is that we seek God's favor not because we deserve it, but because we are doomed to a devil's hell without it. Now see, Brother Roberts, you can't come on a Sunday and preach about hell, but you need to understand Moses, Moses began to describe, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation in the book of Numbers. He began to describe for the people of God the favor of God. Then said the Lord to Moses, Numbers chapter 6, verse 23, tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with his special blessings. All right? He said, May the Lord bless you and protect you. How many of you have said this? May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. But he doesn't stop there. The Lord gives instructions. He says, whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel, in my name, I will bless them. Blessing is one thing. But favor is a whole nother level. God said to Aaron, he said to the, to the high priest, he said, when you bless the people, I'm going to bless them. When you do it in my name, I'm going to bless them because the mercies of God, the power of God, the anointing of God. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to live without favor. I don't ever want to live without the protection of God, without the peace and the mercy. I love that smile of God on my life. I thought to myself as we were worshiping, and the Spirit of the Lord just kind of moved in here. And I watched some people begin to weep and hands were lifted and eyes were closed. You know what that is? That's just the smile of God. That's just the favor of God. That's just his peace entering into the room. That's just the power of God. Come on, it's for my protection. It's for your protection. He's my protector. His mercies are for my protection. His grace is for my protection. You need to understand, we need the favor of God. But here's where it gets difficult. Favor may not be what you think it is. Favor and blessing are not always the same thing. There are some people in the Bible who had the favor of God on their life, but you wouldn't want their circumstance. Joseph had the favor of God on his life, but his brothers didn't like Joseph. They said, hey, little Joe, you got a big mouth. I could see them big brothers going, listen, Joey boy, you're a spoiled, rotten brat. And if daddy won't give you, hello, anybody ever been there, right? And so what they could not understand, what they possibly could not know was that no matter what happened to Joseph, the favor of God was going to be on his life. No matter how bad it got, no matter how it seemed from the outside, the almighty God had a purpose in Joseph's journey, in Joseph's life. Now on the face, on the face of things, the Lord was always shining on poor little Joseph. It didn't matter what you did to him. 
They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. He got put into prison. All of those things are things that I never want to happen to me. I, I don't want those things to happen to me. I, I'm not interested in those. But being thrown into a pit, being sold into slavery, you know what? He, it goes even deeper than that. His brothers hated him. Tell your neighbor that's not a blessing. Being thrown in a pit and being, they were discussing killing him, that's not a blessing. Being sold into slavery is not a blessing. Being lied on and falsely imprisoned is definitely not a blessing. But when you begin to dig down into the story through all the trouble and through all the turmoil, the one thing that never left Joseph's life was the favor of God. The one thing was the covenant that God had made. And God said, I'm not going to break my covenant. I'll be, my God. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And no matter what happened to Joseph... God said, I got favor on your life, Joe. And the brothers were so jealous. And they were so angry. And they were so upset. Why? Because of, because of the favor that they saw of, of God and the little brother's life. And at every turn, God was with Joseph. You could say, we could honestly look at it and say the face of God was always shining on Joseph. Don't misunderstand me. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for every blessing of God in my life. Oh, my goodness. And, and I've got plenty of them. God has allowed many blessings in my life. But in spite of every negative circumstance that Joseph went through, God had a purpose in that young man's life. I want you to know that blessing is different than favor because the, the blessings of God are temporal. The blessings of God are last a season. But the favor of God will take you through the hard times. The favor of God will be there when everything else is gone. The favor of God was going to... Come on, somebody hear this preacher today. Don't let, don't get into a place where God pulls his favor from your life. I can see it, Brother Henry, of the church, not, not, not the apostolic church, but across our world, the churches, the people that say they believe in Jesus Christ, but they're doing their own thing. They refuse to get their spirit right. They refuse. They're refusing to repent. They're refusing to live holy lives. They're refusing to walk in a godly manner. And they don't understand there's a real definite difference between blessing and favor. The favor of God will go with you no matter how far you go. David said, if I go into the pits of hell, behold, you're there. It wasn't a blessing. That was favor he was talking about. I can live without uh, uh, running water, but I have got to have the favor of God in my life. Now here's the confusion. The confusion is we look at blessing or the lack of blessing as favor and not favor. But my circumstance has got nothing to do with favor. That has nothing to do with God's favor. That's God's blessing. Come on. But favor is always connected to God's purpose. 
Oh, come on. Somebody hear this preacher today. I know. I'm kind of trying to show you a word picture. Joseph was always in the favor of God because he was always in the purpose of God. God said, I got to send you down there because my people are going to need a place to go. All the brothers could see was poor little spoiled Joey, always running his mouth, always spouting off about the things of God. And they were jealous, and they were angry, and they were upset. But there came a day when they saw the favor of God, when Joseph would look at them and say, you meant it for evil, but God sent me ahead of you. God showed favor in my life. God sent me It's the favor of God. There was Moses, little baby Moses. And Moses should have died as a baby. The proclamation, he should have died as an infant. He should have been killed by the direction and the order of Pharaoh. But you know what happened. I know what happened. God intervened and made a way when there was no way. And all of these great things, Moses, this baby who should have been killed before he was three months old, now this baby is a prince in Egypt. Man, you talk about blessing. I go from the slave quarters to being nursed by my own mama, and now I'm the son of the queen. Whoo, I'm somebody. But you know what happened? Moses messed that up. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't the brothers this time. It wasn't angry family members. It wasn't somebody else. It was Moses himself who made the choice to kill those Egyptians and bury them in the sand. And when, when it was found out, Moses is running for his life. And we can look back and say, man, Moses, you blew it. You messed up a good thing. But I, I'm reminded that some 40 years later, on the backside of a desert, there came a burning bush and the favor of God that had never left the life of Moses showed back up and it said, take your shoes off Moses you're standing on hope there's a difference between blessing and favor and I'm telling you the church cannot live without favor the New Testament church didn't have blessing they didn't have a building they didn't have some place like this to worship they didn't have half one but they had the favor of God they had an anointing that exceeded anything that we could understand Oh, Brother Roberts, I'm not sure about that. How about the mother of Jesus? I'm sure everybody was understanding of her predicament. But the angel of the Lord comes to Mary and says, Mary, you have found favor with God. I'm trying to help somebody. You're looking at your situation. You're looking at your circumstance, and you're saying, God's left me. God's forgotten me. And I'm telling you, the favor of God is not tied to your circumstance. The favor of God is always tied to his purpose. And as long as you're in the purpose, as long as you're in the place where the purpose of God is being fulfilled, you're going to have God's favor. But it don't always mean the blessing. The favor of God didn't mean that her baby wouldn't be born in a barn. The favor of God didn't mean that her baby wouldn't be crucified, wouldn't be martyred right in front of her eyes. That's not The favor of God didn't mean that all the bad stuff wouldn't happen, but the favor of God, I promise you she's in heaven now rejoicing because she's glad she was... 
But the humanity side of us wants to look and say, you know what? He was the king of kings, Mary. He should have been born in a palace. He should have had, he should have had comfort. He should have had all. He should have never had to do that. But God said, I've got a purpose that is greater than this. You got to know this. You can't separate favor and purpose. But when God breaks his covenant with his people, he says, you know what? He says, you're stiff-necked, you're hard-hearted, you're stubborn, you want to do what you want to do, you're not, going to re- you're not going to restore, you're not going to lift up, you're not going to do any of this stuff. Uh, he said, I'm going to take my favor off your life. Uh, I want someone to understand the scariest thing that could ever happen to the people of God, the worst thing that could ever happen to the church is for God to take his favor off. Uh, I'm not talking about his blessing. I'm not talking about those, those temporal things, uh, but I'm talking about the favor of God because favor is not defined by circumstance. It's always tied to the work and the plan of God. What should have been defending them? What should have been keeping them? What should have been protecting those people of God? The covenant that God, I will be to you a God and you shall be to me a people. The covenant that that he made with Abraham, God said, I'm going to break that thing. Because they were so consumed with their comfort. They were so consumed with what they wanted. And they allowed that division to go on into that broken place. The second thing that the church can't live without is the unity that can only be found in the church. Favor and unity. He said, then I took my other staff, union. King James calls it bands, the bond of unity. He said, and I cut it in two. I broke it. Because what had happened to Israel in this time, this this symbolic gesture of union speaks of the hope of reuniting the people of God. Historically, after the death of Solomon, there were ten tribes that that were led by Judah and led a revolt from the nation of Israel because they refused. Hear hear this preacher today. They refused to recognize the son of Solomon, Rehoboam, as their king. And this rebellion, this conflict that would lead to years and years and years, decades and decades and decades of civil war and unrest and conflict, it was political in its nature. And so again, the prophet begins to, he breaks that, 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 that symbol of unity. And I know we've heard a lot about unity of the church. And I know that we, as the people of God, understand what unity is. But I just wanted to just take a moment this morning and talk to us about what real unity is. No, I, I, I can, Brother Brad, I, 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 can, I can bypass the shower I'm probably going to need one really, really good when I get out of here today. But, but I, I, I can live without the shower if I truly had to. But I've got to have the favor. But the, the second thing that the church cannot live without, the church must never allow to go away, is the unity that comes only through the Spirit of God. The Bible says that we've got to endeavor 
together. That, 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 that scripture says we got to make every effort. Why? Because there's, there's one God. There's one Lord. There's one body. There's only one spirit. And so there has to be a place where the church has no division in it. And this, this division of the people of God, they were brothers. They were brothers. They were, they were, those, those, those tribes, they were all, they all looked at Abraham as their father and Jacob and Isaac and Joseph. They could trace their lineage back and they were part of this great thing that God had done. And because of a political difference, I'm speaking to the church in 2020, because of a political difference, they allowed a separation to continue that literally destroyed their ability to move forward in the plan and the purpose of God. But I want to preach to somebody on a, on a Sunday afternoon that we're not bound together by race or religion or creed. We're not bound together by the things that binds men together. We're not bound together by like interest. We're not bound together by skin color. We're not bound together by origin or where we we come from, but there are some things that bind the body of Christ together that nothing else in this world could ever create. We are bound together by an experience. I'm telling you, we're bound together by the old rugged cross. We're bound together by the blood of Jesus. We're bound together by the Holy Ghost and power. We're bound together with an anointing that breaks the yoke. And Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, God said, I want you to restore. I allow this to happen I allowed you to go into occupation and exile so that I could restore you but they came out of that circumstance just as hard hearted as when they went in and they didn't allow the difficult things but I'm preaching to a church in 2020 that we've got to get back to the altar we've got to get back to the place where it's not my way or the highway we've got to get back to the place where we've got a common experience we talk in the same spirit we, come on we drank from the same that's what Paul wrote Paul said all of our fathers were baptized under the same cloud. They all walked across that Red Sea on dry ground. They had a common bond and they allowed the political issues of their day to separate them. I'm preaching to the church that this is not the place for politics. This is not the place for opinion. This is not the place for selfish ambition. This is where the power of God resides. Don't let the unity be broken. Well, I'm not coming if I can't do this. I'm not going to do this if I can't. Quit, take, take the condition off of that. Take the condition off of that. We're bound together by the mercy of God. We're bound together by the, by the power of the Holy Ghost. We're bound together by the experience of, of baptism in Jesus' name. We're we're a body of believers. We're bound together because God said, you know what? I know that if I take, if that unity is broken, now they've got no leadership. They've got no direction. Living Hope, what makes us strong as a church? Because we've made the decision that we've got a pastor who we're following. Hello? Hear me. I've decided that I've got a man of God in my life who's going to lead me and my family to heaven. That's what binds us together. 
that experience, Brother Bruce, we may not have even got baptized in the same old horse trough, but we were both baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of every one of our sins. Come on. God didn't do something different for you than he did for me. We make... You may have a different mama and a different daddy, but we got the same father. We got... We got the same spirit. I don't speak... I can't speak Spanish. Dale, Stephen, Diga, that's it. I'm done. I'm over. Hola. But that don't mean when we get to an altar together as brothers and sisters and the Holy Ghost begins to move, God can overcome that. Why? Because there's a unity in the spirit that has to be preserved. There's a power of God that... We, we can't move forward as the people of God without God's unity. We can't fulfill the purpose of God without his power. Two word pictures. Two simple staffs. There's a lot more going on in that passage. There's a, there's a ton of stuff going on in that passage. I'm not even going to attempt to look at that. I just took that out. He said, I, 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 just, I, named, those, I, I, I named those staffs. I'm sure the shepherds were shaking their head. What's wrong with this guy? Why do you name your staffs? Why are you naming them? What's wrong with you? Those people are really precious. Okay, he's just a prophet. He don't really know much about sheep. He's just a prophet. No, no, no. That's the spirit that causes division. That's the spirit that causes disunity. That's the place. You've got to understand unity is the only place where God commands his blessing. Some of you are looking for the blessing. Some of you are searching for the blessing. You've got to get into unity with the body. You've got to get into the unity of the spirit. You've got to make every effort. You've got to get under the blood again. You've got to get back to the place where the power of God resides. You've got to quit doing it your own way. You've got to quit being independent. You've got to quit saying, I don't like them and I don't like them. You got to get back to the place where the Spirit of God is moving. You, I'm talking about the church cannot live without. I've got to have the unity. I know, I know. Brother Jones, some of these good people of God don't like sweet potato pie, they prefer pumpkin. But in a spirit of unity, I know, shame. But in, in a spirit of unity, I'm going to pray for them. I'm not going to let it create division in my spirit. As for the Roberts household and the Jones household, we're going we're gonna to go to heaven on sweet potato. Listen, it's always the little things that work their way in. I don't like how this was done. I don't like how that was done. I, 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 I don't agree with that. Take your disagreement to an altar. Get it back under the blood. Get your spirit right with God. Allow, come on somebody. Come on. When was the last time somebody told you it's time to pray through? It's time to pray until you were right with God. They allowed their differences to separate them and when their differences separated them, they thwarted the plan and the purpose of an almighty God. And God said, I'm going to take the unity and I'm going to break it in two because I've broken my covenant of favor. And so your protection is gone. But now I'm going to leave you leaderless and directionless. And according to what I see in the word of God, for 400 years, there was not one word from God. 
Oh, come on. I'm preaching to somebody in 2020. The last thing I ever want is for God to quit speaking to me. Yes, God, correct me, oh God. Direct me, God. Put your favor on me. Put your unity on me. Lead me in the right direction. Cover me with your mercies again. Musicians, come. Hear me. We're bound together by what we believe. I'm not fighting. I'm not arguing. But the favor and unity are the things that we cannot live without. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like an orchestra and that sound of the orchestra that goes up into the ears of God. It's a sweet savor in his mind. Well, Steve, I'm not musical at all. I can't play spoons. No natural rhythm. Can't dance. But most of you already knew that. But I can hear an instrument that's out of tune. And God wants his body to move in the unity. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait.